welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sport. My name is Richard Baker. Coming up, the second part of the conversation that Tom Gibbs, Ollie Scully and I had with Anthony Murray on the Euro 2020 tournament. We recorded our conversation on the eve of the tournament starting, as this podcast is being released a week into the tournament. Thought it would be useful just to recap where we are after seven days of the, of the games. Obviously the biggest story is the harrowing events of last Saturday in Copenhagen. Christian Eriksen collapsed during the Finland game. Now fortunately it seems like he's going to pull through but I think it was a stark reminder of just how fragile life is and ultimately how little sport matters in the grand scheme of things when something like that happens. Now in the conversation we talk quite a bit about England and Scotland who meet at Wembley this evening and then we go on to discuss some of the teams that we fancy to do well in the latter stages of the tournament and happily I can say that most of these sides have had very strong starts. Netherlands with two wins, Italy with two wins, France having that you know big win over Germany earlier in this week. Um, for the Wales fans out there we've neglected to mention Wales so I apologise in advance. Uh, hopefully the uh, conversation all makes sense. Enjoy. The, the tournament in front of us uh, and the limitations we discussed, you know, the pandemic year, you know, limited crowds, format, etc. But you know, what are you what are you excited about going forward? And for the tournament, for me, I, I'm genuinely excited about a proper organised and tight affair you know, where we can watch, you know, in a dedicated fashion, because it's been, you know, essentially three years now since the World Cup. That feels like a long time. We've missed everything like that. You know, the Premier League hasn't been the same. There's going to be some fans in. You know, I think it will really bandwagon pretty quickly, this tournament, once it gets going. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing England playing with a bit of flair. To be honest, I'm hoping that Jordan Henderson's injury is quite serious and really limits his game time. Because <laughs> if I'm honest, I think Liverpool won the league and the Champions League in spite of Henderson. I think he was in the side, but not of that side. Um, and I kind of I've always blamed um, training with Henderson in the England setup for ruining Harry Winks. And he's completely forgotten how to pass the ball forwards. So I'm hoping that Henderson is, you know, he's carrying the drinks and, you know, we have a midfield that's kind of got Grealish, Mount, Foden, all in it, you know, and then you kind of take your pick, really, who you play and play in front of them. Obviously, imagine Kane will start, but whether you're putting Sterling, Rashford, Bellingham, Sancho, any of those guys alongside him, that is quite an attacking, attacking set of England players that I don't think I've ever sort of seen thrown on the pitch together. Obviously, you can't get them all on at once, but I think the sort of strength and depth of the attacking options means that I'm hoping that for once England will play in a tournament and actually have options to try and really, really go at teams and not sort of have this sort of sort of slightly stayed sort of tournament football that I really that kind hope, of, you know, you just, yeah. just think of when you think of watching England. I really hope you're right. Um, I, I fear you might not be. I There's been quite a few bits in recent days in response to the last... Uh, warm-up game, um, the booing of taking the knee here, um, the squad's response, Gareth Southgate's response to it. I really like Gareth Southgate, the man, and sort of the leader and he, the way he speaks on these issues. I just don't like him as a football manager. <laughs> so, so I really hope you're right, because there is a, a tremendous bounty of, of young attacking talent. But from the warm-up games I've watched, uh, I'm not going to be holding my breath. But you know, fingers crossed. How about you, Anthony? What are you looking forward to watching? I'd like to throw in just on what Ollie was saying there that, you know, having 
having watched, you know, the, the, the Gazas and the Roonies, you know, rise brilliantly in their youth and then ultimately, you know, did they ever deliver what we, we hoped? Even I'm open-minded enough to see, like, a Phil Foden come and, and deliver and, you know, on the on the biggest stage, uh, or arguably the second biggest stage. So, you know, I'm, I'd quite like England's young, talented players to come out and really blow the world away. I think that'd be really awesome. Uh, I, I pivoted today on Jordan Henderson. I, <laughs> when I had my Frosties this morning, I was on Ollie's team with regards to pure apathy towards him. But he posted a, a video today. I don't know if anyone saw it on Twitter. It was basically his dad narrating over his last five years, you know? And it was it was a very emotional, well-produced spin on the existence of Jordan Henderson. And it, it did nothing for me, even up until the fourth minute. I was, I was still on Team Ollie. And then at the end, there was a great shout out to the NHS. And I was like, all right, I'm all in. These are good people. You've won me over. So I'm a little bit more enthusiastic about John Anderson whilst completely accepting you don't want him in your teeth. <laughs> what am I excited about? Obviously, in reality, I'm just a small-minded Celtic supporter. And you know, Celtic get a lot of crap within Scotland as like the, the big team that scoops up all the talent kind of thing. But that current Celtic squad, that Scotland squad has eight products of Celtic's academy and four, five other players that have played for Celtic. So you could argue they were ones that were, you know, scooped up. A sizable majority of Celtic talent in the Scotland squad who are guys, you know, basically how enthusiastic, how enthusiastic I can be for a Scotland squad is a measure of how many Rangers players and how many Celtic <laughs> players are in a given team. And it's a, a huge Celtic uh, majority on this occasion. Just despite the fact the Rangers fans clinging to Billy Gilmore as if he's one of theirs, he's clearly a Chelsea player. Is that his? Is that sort of historically sort of been an issue for for Scotland squads, kind of like the, you oh, know, the the, the Rangers Celtic kind of split? Because I know it's something that has kind of often been talked of with with sort of Spanish squads, sort of down yeah, there. You know, sort before... of, you know, you know, if you get, you know, obviously they had the period of you know great success, but before that, you always sort of thought they had sort of talented individuals, but you had two camps, and there was the Barca. And it was the Real Madrid, and they kind of then this team was never as good as the individuals because of that that kind of club rivalry that you know that they just couldn't leave behind. Is that same kind of criticism been levelled at Scotland squads in the past? It's it's a strange one, but I mean, going back historically, like in the 70s when Scotland fans are waving Union Jacks, you know, that's just such an alien concept. You know, post the 1990s where England wave England flags and Scotland wave Scotland flags. Uh, go back to to go right back to the 60s. You know Celtic are winning a European Cup, and you know great great Celtic players end their careers with like four Scotland caps. So there there <laughs> definitely used to be a, an alleged institutional yeah. bias where the Celtic players didn't get their caps. Uh, and then it's evolved to be the other way. In the 1990s, you had you know allegedly great Rangers players like Richard Goff and uh, the cricket player uh, Andy, Andy Gorham. Gorham who really did pick and choose when they showed up, you know? So they were always fit for Rangers, but they were never fit for Scotland kind of thing. And that that's definitely something that has radiated beyond the Celtic Rangers support, that like Aberdeen fans and Dundee United fans definitely hate Rangers more than they hate Celtic. They're not particularly fond of Celtic, but they hate the Rangers. And it, it, it makes it kind of difficult for Rangers players coming into that group environment. In that sense... You know, Scotland's greatest games in the last 20 years have always kind of been 
when there's been a majority, like to the 98 World Cup, you know, John Collins, Paul Lambert, Craig Burley, Tom Boyd scoring an OG for Brazil. Do you know what I mean? It's like Paul McStay, you know, Brian McClare. These were all Celtic guys that played well for Scotland. You couldn't really identify the great Rangers players that have done it in a Scotland jersey. What do you have to do to make yourself hero? Especially go against England? Well, that... well that's it. Well, that do mean, it. I've, I've heard conflicting comments from former England players about the England camp being like that in the sort of 2000s. Some players have said there were cliques. There was the United Chelsea cliques and they didn't quite get on. You know, other players have refuted that. So I don't think it's necessarily uniquely kind of Spanish or, or Scottish phenomenon, this idea of you know, players don't necessarily mixing yeah. in. I've always thought there's been an element when when teams have... So, so with England, most of the England squad have always played in the Premier League. You've had the odd player who's gone abroad, but it's tended to be a very Premier League focus. Whereas you get some countries like, I don't know, Portugal or Belgium, where most of the star players, they're off in the other leagues. They're playing in England and Spain and France and Italy. And then when they go back to their national team, it's sort of, oh, I'm back with my countrymen here. The guys I grew up playing youth level football with, I have just have a much better time in the national team squad. And therefore, we tend to punch above our weight nationally, even though we've got lots of talent in a way that maybe the big countries, you know, or maybe England, in a sense, by, uh, have missed out on. I think, I think, I think it is England that, you know, are really not not great at exporting our our footballing talent, are we? You know, so I think it, this is probably the m- side with the most overseas players, overseas based players for a while. And what quite you've got? Kieran Trippier, Sancho, Bellingham, Trippier. Yeah, quite possibly, three. but uh, that's probably for me a, a function of the value that intrinsically comes with uh, an English player because of the size of the championship, the size of the, you know, the, the competitiveness of the lower leagues, forcing up the whole pricing structure across the pyramid. But everything I think you've, you've said there in the last few minutes for me is a function of the management and the leadership of an international manager. It's a very different task. And because you do take an amalgam. And so I think, you know, the fact is, I'm not poo-pooing the fact as you're saying there, but actually if you have the right manager who is of, you know, the mindset to do international management, you can still find success, I think, with it, with the talent you get. And there's a, there is a brand of international manager. Having said, I was excited about the Celtic youth players, Kieran Tierney, you know, a guy who I really did in recent times see get thrown into the Celtic team at 17 and basically our best player week in, week out for the next five years. I just love the guy. So, you know, in the same way, you know, you might be excited about Foden. I really hope Tierney turns up and, you know, stays fit and has a great tournament. You're obviously a proud Scot and excited to see them in the first tournament for you know, a couple of decades, but you're also Bratislava-based and, and Slovakia have qualified too. So will you be looking out for the Slovakia games as well or, or do you have a, a another sort of second team? In- I think I've been unlucky in that when I moved here, they, they had just knocked down the old communist stadium. They've now built a beautiful new international stadium, but they still had a sort of contract commitment to other stadiums. So just at the point where this new stadium had opened, and internationals would have been played 10 minutes down the road, uh, COVID comes along and denies me, you know, a year of possibly going to matches. Yeah, still haven't really sort of fallen in love with the Slovak national team. And that being, you know, us being child children of the 90s, I'm an Italian football fan. And <laughs> definitely I'm going to lump money on the Italians. Uh, I, I love Italy. I go to Italy every chance I get. And uh, I'm going to make Italy my, my team to support and get behind for this tournament. How about you, Ollie? Who's your who's your second team if you're allowed one? I tend to try and like cheer on the underdog. 
and I don't quite know who the underdog is in such a such a big field. I was looking at the betting. I I suppose I think Poland are fifty to one at the minute with with some of the bookies, and that that kind of puts them at pretty long odds. But I think that's pretty good bet given they've got Robert Lewandowski, and I know he's never done it on the international stage, but surely he must do at some point. He must be due a few <laughs> goals in the in a tournament. So if he called yeah, and theory. <laughs> so so yeah, so if he starts firing then maybe Poland and I think cheer on Poles instead. How about you, Tom? You've always had a sort of an esoteric approach to following football teams. Which 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 country have you had a soft spot for through the years or on on that on that measure, you know, I'm, I will usually keep an eye out for Denmark, you know, I, you know foster the spirit of ninety two. <laughs> but the reality is I, I I want Scotland and Wales to do well as well. You know, I do. I, I, I do think the home nation thing is still a thing for me. So, yeah, all power to their elbows. And dare I say, it, even if we lose, you know, come bottom of the group and Scotland come top of the group, you know, I will happily make my way down to Glasgow Green and very, very quietly put myself in the fan zone <laughs> down there. <laughs> I think for me, I had to pin my colours to the mast in 2008 when, when England didn't qualify. But I strangely because we'd almost been knocked out in the qualification by Croatia. But I decided to back Croatia in that tournament because they, they had a City player. It was a time when sort of City didn't field a, a squad and a half of internationals. And they had a Chorluka who went on to a mediocre career at Spurs as well, I think. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> but, uh, An unusual guy to have pinned on your bedroom wall. <laughs> on, on the back of that, uh, I bought myself a, a Croatia away shirt, which is still one of the best shirts I own. Uh, navy blue with the sort of the picnic blankets down the side you didn't, go for, the, you didn't go for the home shirt the home shirt is one of the iconic shirts well this was the best of both worlds in that it was it was stylish but it still had the checkerboards down the side as well i did wear it, wear it around the london for a couple of days and you know a few people greeted me in croat <laughs> was would we agree that Kaluka was probably the last footballer that couldn't run <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like he was playing table football. <laughs> Just sort of stood on one spot for the most part. I sort of swiveled a bit. You know, it sort of reminds me of when you go out for the second half and you haven't properly you know, warmed down after the first half and you're just incredibly <laughs> stiff and you run yeah. like, <laughs> like yeah. a pigeon. Yeah. Well, someone's trying to control you in an old arcade machine. Bashing <laughs> <laughs> buttons. Yeah, it's like he was sort of, he was just playing to a slightly substandard graphics card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good-looking boy, though. He did quite well in his time in London. But I mean, that, that's teams we have a soft spot for. I, I suppose we should get into some some football analysis at some point. Even though I think we've demonstrated the depth of our knowledge, well, at least the three of us have. Not perhaps not yourself, Anthony. I know how, how much you know. Let, let's talk a little bit about how we think this current tournament is going to shape up. So, if I could ask you to let me know who who do you think is going to win it and why so let's start with tom no who do i think is going to win it i do think the french this time i think they have the balance of a strong back line and firepower i like the width i like the speed that they've got out there and i think benzema is going to have a, another fantastic tournament so there you go money's on france yeah bookie's favorite controversial are they <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I hadn't looked, so, you know, maybe no, the bookies are agreeing with me on this case. Oh, that's fair enough. Sometimes the obvious answer is the right one. Ollie, how about yourself? Well, I'd sort of thought it was quite, had the potential to be quite open because I'm not sure that sort of any of uh, any of the big 
teams are kind of in a in a particularly great place. I think everyone's sort of got a few question marks about certain positions. No, no one really seems as if they're sort of setting the world alight. Um, so then I sort of almost rounded back on France as well. So, so for me, being this sort of very prospect of a very open tournament, it seems that we're all saying France are obviously going to win it. So maybe I'm thinking it's a France versus Poland final. And I don't know what, I haven't looked at my wall chart. So whatever stage those two meet, that's that's the final. And whoever wins it goes on okay. to win it. A game that nobody is calling the Marie Curie derby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> science joke for you there. And Polish born, <laughs> but French bred. Ha! French bred. <laughs> Super fury animals joke for you, I think. <laughs> yeah, very niche. Thanks, Sonny. <laughs> I've, I've got extensive notes for all the questions you asked. And for the who's going to win, it just says France. <laughs> One word. And it's just like, you know, basically, if you pick their second 11, they'd still be favourites. It's ridiculous how stacked. They're, they're tossing internationals to the Spanish as a gesture. Yeah. You know, they're, they're too good. You know, you, I, I was looking at a photo of their, you know, someone tweeted this invincible team this morning. And Golo Kante wasn't in the picture. Their best player wasn't in the picture. It's like, geez, oh, you know, they are. And to, to bring Benzema back in from the cold is ridiculous because, I mean, there's a conversation I have with myself because I live alone and speak to myself a lot. But, you know, we live in a time where if, imagine you took Messi and Ronaldo out of the equation. Who were the great players of our times? I think Arwen Robin would be considered pretty prolific, you know, con- considering his Champions League record. Benzema would be the the other one that stands out. You know, his, his goal rate, his trophy haul. Benzema's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal footballer. And for him to just get thrown back in, it's like, <laughs> sorry, Giroud. Yeah. <laughs> Found someone better. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's hard to see past them. I can't really argue. France France look incredibly strong. But I will say that I, I have a feeling that if you think back to the last edition... Portugal win it and the Portuguese side now compared to 2016 is much better uh you still have Ronaldo up front as the talisman but then behind him you have a three of Diogo Jota Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva which I think behind France is, is as good attacking three for attacking midfielders as anyone and then you've got a pretty good defense as well anchored by Ruben Dias so I think that Portugal have, if they were good enough in 16 to go ahead and win it and best France, I think, if anything, they're better equipped now to do it. I'd read, though, that they were struggling to to find a, a formation and a setup that actually suited Ronaldo and and still got the, the best out of that, that midfield trio that you've just listed. And that there was a bit of disquiet that, you know, kind of they needed to drop Ronaldo, but, yeah, no coach could drop Ronaldo and that that in itself was causing some some kind of problems within the squad I don't know if anyone else has read this this story but it sounded like they weren't in a sort of a settled settled sort of place running into the running into them I didn't really know what the what the best side looked like I was I was thinking about parallels in that remember when France were kings at the turn of the century when France were kings their youth teams were you know wiping the floor you know, the 21s and the 18s. And there was a kind of presumption that, oh my God, they're going to rule forever. Because, you know, these Gibril Cisse's and Lionel Matisse, 
this next wave of talent's going to come through. And then it came through and it wasn't as good. And France were basically crap for a decade. I don't know how they stumbled to the final in 06 because they weren't good. And then the same with Spain. When Spain were kings 10 years ago, you thought that Thiago Alcantara, uh, Sergio Canales' team was going to come through and dominate. And then Spain, after, you know, Xavi packs in, you know, they, they go down the toilet as well, largely. So if we assume that Portugal have peaked, again, I, I wasn't convinced that Portugal team was great five years ago, but, you know, they got their trophy, they got their win. There's no guarantee that that next generation will actually kick on and be really good. Although on paper, it does look really, really good. History suggests that it's, it's not that simple. There's something to be said as well. I mean, they're both starting in Group F alongside the Germans, alongside actually a pretty decent Hungarian team who are more than capable of holding their own. So France aren't good tournament starters historically either. So we could see, you know, playing devil's advocate against France, you know, them losing a couple of games in that group and actually struggling to get out of it. Same for Portugal. So maybe maybe we're hedging ourselves into a into a bit of a corner in the sixth group out there, and actually we want to be looking elsewhere. Well, I, I, just going back to the point around on Portugal, I think in what Ollie was raising about Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo gets a bad press, especially when he's joins up with Portugal. I think he's actually a very positive influence on that dressing room. I think he's quite widely respected as well. I don't think they see him as a prima donna, that kind of narcissistic element that perhaps it, he attracts elsewhere. So. I think he will fit into a, a system when push comes to shove that gets the best out of you know Bruno Fernandes or, or Bernardo Silva. I think I think he's a savvy enough footballer that he, he's willing to do that if it helps the team to win. Oh, I'm not. Um, I'm not. I don't get me wrong. I'm not questioning his um, almost his commitment to the side and him personally causing kind of causing problems and having a bad attitude at all. I think you know absolutely opposite. I think you know he. He, he kind of dragged that Portugal side to the trophy last time out, uh, you know, kind of kind of single-handedly just by his just by his attitude, really, um, as well as his kind of his skill. But I just this time round, I just what I've what I've read suggests that that's the the side and the setup of the side. But you know, the sort of Portuguese media are looking at the balance of the side and thinking what we don't need just a you know kind of an out and out front man. You know, to play that role that Ronaldo now plays. You know, they kind of would sort of better off just having someone else that's kind of just almost play a little bit more like like City play without a with a false kind of nine, a yeah. false nine. And you know, they've probably got you know then a setup that allows them to get the best out of sort of you know Fernando, you know Fernandez, Bernardo Silva uh, in a way that you know they're, they're not. It's not currently perceived kind of in the Portuguese media that they that they're really getting. I think the Portuguese feel that there's probably they should have a good attacking side with plenty of flair, and at the minute they're not they're not playing in that way. And I mean, it seems as if you know Ronaldo is the one that's kind of possibly been the you know, where the finger of blame's being pointed. You know, not not because of his attitude, but just because perhaps he just doesn't quite fit the system that everyone thinks that Portugal could play. Well, I think I'd agree with that in the sense that it might be just his presence is detrimental to like João Felix's contribution, because when when Ronaldo came in 2004. You know, he was the young guy that was the superstar. I think he probably already had one season at Man United, and he looked really good. You know, and you know, Figo and Rui Costa played off him, and Ronaldo had a decent tournament in 2004. Ronaldo being in the squad now is, by all accounts, going to be detrimental to João Felix getting minutes, and you know that that isn't a good thing. By all accounts, he's struggled to be the flamboyant genius he is 
playing under Simeone at Atletico Madrid. So it's not like he's coming out all guns blazing. But he is meant to be the most, you know, one of the most talented young players on the planet. Maybe he'll, you know, explode into this tournament and we'll all see how good he is. Maybe, you know, Portugal won't click. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard one to predict. So all eyes on Portugal, France, 23rd of June in Budapest. If you can uh, make it over. <laughs> it's a Wednesday down. night. It's a school night. <laughs> a school night. <laughs> We've not touched the Dutch at all. And no. uh, obviously I've said I've picked the Italians because I like them at 11 to 1 and I just want to get behind them. The Dutch are interesting because they are, they're 13 to 1 in Slovakia. I was I was just, you know, the UEFA have been posting out these all these qualifier goals videos and the Dutch scored loads. And I, I really, really rate Jorginho Wijnaldum. Uh, Memphis Depay is currently at the peak of his powers. De Ligt and De Jong... You know, the two stars from that young Ajax team. Uh, obviously, when they move on, that Ryan uh, Gravenberch, he's 19 years old, you know, the next superstar of Dutch football. So for all the, the boo-hoo Van Dijk's not here, their their back two will be the Juventus centre-half and the Inter Milan centre-half, uh, De Vrij. So, you know, they've, you know, they've the, the Inter have just won the title. So I, I, I think the Dutch could be a, a sneaky little decent team if they if they apparently their managers a diddy i've just learned that today yeah well uh, frank de boer classically had a great time of it at crystal palace he did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. has he got over that yet I, I didn't realize he was the manager i was just watching the <laughs> players uh but i mean memphis Depay is a, a really really talented player for all his, his failures in the premier league and, and also they have... they've got they've got a right back called denzel dumfries <laughs> <laughs> i just love that you know which was so your childhood. obviously a slave name from 300 years ago. I was going to say, I thought you know? that was your childhood nickname, wasn't it? <laughs> but they've got a very, they've got a friendly group in the sense that they have Austria, Ukraine and uh, North Macedonia. And if they get through that, win it, they'll play third from either the England group, the uh, the Spain group or the, the Portugal, France, Germany group. So actually, if they win that group, they could end up one of yeah Portugal, Germany or France, assuming that Hungary finished bottom there. So you know, that could be an intriguing one in the last 16. Playing the side that has not, not been performing, they've ended up coming third in the group. So on paper, should be a, a reasonable path, even though you're going to have to get one past one of those three. Your mention of Ukraine has given me two thoughts. One, they've got that Malinovsky, who's one of the best players in Serie A this year for Atalanta. You know, an absolute genius. Obviously, Atalanta are a really well-coached system, so there's no guarantee he's going to leave that, you know, healthy grass and tear it up for the Ukraine. But you never know. We'd we'd have to two two kit observations. I'm sure we've all seen the Ukraine kit that's been released with the the map of Ukraine, <laughs> uh, including a little section called Crimea. Uh, which has obviously pissed off everyone in Russia. Lovely touch. Big fan of this. And the other kit observation I'd, I made, uh, Tom, you mentioned the Danes earlier. Great to see the Danes back in a humble strip. Uh, oh. That should just be a rule. I think you know, it yeah. is a rule. Yeah. UEFA should have a rule. The Danes wear hummel. No, I, th- I think it is a rule. I'm fairly sure there was a kit they tried to introduce and then the, the Prime Minister intervened and said it should have chevrons. <laughs> Even if it wasn't Hummel, it had to have chevrons. <laughs> the Constitution of Denmark. Good to see them back. No, I like I like the idea of stitching in your territorial claims into your Euro shirt. I think you like a little bit of spice. I don't know if Ukraine and Russia will meet or Ukraine will end up in St. Petersburg uh, during the tournament. 
But uh, no, it certainly adds a little bit of spice, those kind of historical rivalries. Have we mentioned Germany? So where are we, th- where are we thinking Germany are at? Because it f- seems odd that we're not, not talking about them as you know, major, major players. Why are we... Why are they slipped off our radar? They stank at the last tournament. Yeah, but that's the outlier. I see. Okay, I well, let's that... put it this way. Their last qualifier, I think they lost to North Macedonia. You know, they're, they're, they're not the team they have been. They're really not. And you look at them through the squad there, there's some really... The better players are well into their 30s now. And I think you could say that for a few teams, but they, they are not the force that they were. But I still think you know, they're more than capable of turning out and winning a game or two in that qualifying group which could turn the whole competition over. So whilst I don't think they're going to win it, they could have a huge effect on the tournament. Like I said, three out of seven of the last tournaments have had a very unexpected winner. So you know, we're concentrating on you know, the France, Portuguese, we mentioned the Dutch, but you know, it, it really could come from elsewhere. And like I said, never write off the Germans. You'd say that they've obviously back-to-back mentions of Hummel. Uh, they've, they've just pulled Mads <laughs> Hummel back into the squad. But then that, they've also brought in uh, Muller, Thomas Muller. Both, that, that, that looks kind of desperate, doesn't it? Oh, right, we're reverting back to the old guard. But then you look at Thomas Muller, he's on the back of, you know, 24 months of brilliant form for Bayern Munich. So maybe, you know, it's a last hurrah for a guy who undervalued because he's kind of boring and stuff, but he's, he's been a great footballer for a long time. They've seen Timo, um, Timo Werner trying to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> It does remind me a little bit of when they brought Mateus back for Euro 2000. Yeah. And he was absolutely diabolical. And Hummels is a great defender. I, mean, remember, I watched him live a couple of times. I think definitely one of the best centre-backs of the last 15 years. But a lot of the teams now have pace to burn. And you think France-Germany, the first group match, Kylian Mbappe. How much of a head start does Hummels need to, to live with Mbappe? It's going to be difficult Kingsley to watch. Kingsley all of that. In the name of slight revisionism, I'm, I'm going to fight Matthias's corner there. <laughs> he, I think, what was the group? It was Romania, England, Portugal. Germany. Germany. Oh, of course, Germany, yeah. <laughs> and he, he got his arse torn against the Portuguese. He didn't do very well against England. But he, there, he had a last game where he redeemed himself and played well, I think. I think in that Portugal and Romania qualified from that group, and England beat Germany, but it was basically like two old drunks fighting in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> awful, awful game to watch. We're going to look up the stats and find that he was actually benched for that last game. <laughs> That's why, sure why you he, don't remember him having a shocker. I'm sure he had a decent, you know, he redeemed himself ever so slightly. We need to ask Stefan Effenberg what he thought about it. Yeah. Famously <laughs> had a long-running beef with Lothar Mateus. I've, I've got a great betting tip. As, as excited as I am about Cal McGregor and Kieran Tierney, uh, the odds on Scotland not scoring a goal in the tournament are 10 to 1. Considering we qualified with two penalty shootouts and no goals, <laughs> last week we played for 70 minutes against 10 men of Luxembourg and did not score. I think, basically, you could easily imagine Scotland not scoring against England. Yeah, you you could easily that. imagine Scotland not scoring against, who's the other good team in the group? Croatia. Croatia. And that that's giving you 10 to 1. On Scotland firing a blank against the Czechs. Not impossible. So. Well, you got 90 minutes against John Stones, so probably not taking that 10 to 1 <laughs> bet. Yeah. Have you been watching Lyndon Dykes tear it up for QPR? <laughs> I, I see Phil Foden's copied his hair. Phil Foden copied Gaz's hair. Oh, it's, it's obviously a, a nod to Lyndon Dykes. 
Someone <laughs> drop a word with young Philip. Yeah, indeed. Gosh. Get, get him a nice yellow Alessi sweatshirt. That'll take the take the temper out of him. So we've got a month of football ahead of us, at the end of which France will probably win. But as we know, there's always been upset, so we'll be looking forward to watching it. Uh, Anthony, thanks very much for joining us. Cool. Thanks. Tom, Ollie, next time. Cheers, Cheers all. Thank you.